Thank you, worship team. Hey, kids, you are dismissed from Sunday school. We have Sunday school up through middle school, high school. Our nursery is open. How is everyone today? When I used to lead middle, uh, middle school, high school students, I used to say, get up, and the first thing I would say to them is I would say, hey, you can open up your Bibles. And I used to yell, live it, love it, and they would yell, want some more of it. So we're going to try that this morning. I'm going to say, live it, love it, and you're going to say, want some more of it. So I'll say, how's everybody doing today? Are you ready? And you say, yes. So, yes. Live it, love it. All right. All right. Listen, let me open us in a word of prayer, and we will begin. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. And Lord, uh, this morning as I was outside and just preparing my heart and soul, Lord, for this morning, for this time, Lord, I, I just, I watched the world literally, I just watched nature come alive and the rising of the sun. And Lord, in the same light that the sun provides upon the physical earth, I look at the light that you provide upon our lives. Lord, the direction, the guidance, the leadership, Lord, as David cried out, the Lord is my shepherd. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would guide your foolish sheep. And, Lord, that we would uh, find pasture in your presence, Lord. And we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, my sermon is entitled Conversion Derailment. Um, all of us have had experiences in life where we feel like something is going in the right direction, and all of a sudden, something happens and things go awry. Um, and we don't know what happened. I, I, I can remember vividly when my kids were small, you know, the three of them, I would say, okay, boys, now listen. They would be old enough to be able to do this, and I would say, guys, I just made dinner. I'm going to clean up the dishes. Mom's working, so you guys are going to go. And I need you to get a tub and get your pajamas on, and then we'll come down and we'll watch something or we'll read a book or we'll do something. Everybody understands it. Yes, all right. Austin and Jack, you help Chase. Yes, I got it. They go upstairs, and I'm downstairs. I get everything cleaned up. And the next thing I know, I don't know what's going on, but I go upstairs, and there's naked bummies running all over the place. And it's like, guys, did anyone bathe? Did you tell us to? Yes. Why does no one have clothes on? You know, like, it's just, but this is like these derailments that happen as parents. And, and derailments can happen all over the place. And today we're going to read about a derailment. You know, this semester we've been using all sorts of different catchphrases. Um, mountaintop and valley experiences, meaning that the Lord is, is the Lord is Lord over the mountaintops and the valleys. We've talked about our vertical relationship with the Lord and our horizontal relationship with those around us and how the vertical relationship needs to be our priority relationship to overflow into our horizontal relationships. 
We talked about title and purpose and understanding who Jesus' title is. Remember Jesus said to the disciples, who do, the, who do they say the Son of Man is? And they said, well, Elijah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. And then Jesus directs it personally. He says, well, who do you say that I am? It is important that we understand his title, but understand what his purpose is in our life. If you think about it, it's absolutely vital that we grip these realities if we're going to thrive in our walk with Jesus Christ. In other words, we need to recognize the Lord's presence in the mountain moments so that we can see him in the moments in the valley of despair. It's important that we have a vertical relationship with the Lord that's influencing our horizontal relationship with the Lord because if our horizontal relationships are influencing our vertical relationships, we will be disappointed immensely because nothing is meant to be in that vertical relationship. If we recognize Jesus as Lord but don't understand his purpose in our life, we will feel at times that we are poorly treated or even abandoned as if we were almost a mistake. How many of you at times have ever had this thought go through your mind? Well, Jesus loves everyone, but maybe not me as much as he loves other people. Or how many of you have ever had this thought? Well, I see God moving powerfully in Paul's life. Why doesn't he move like that in my life? Has anybody ever thought those kind of things? I have. Today we're going to look at what I would term as a tragic interaction with Jesus. If you think that sounds weird, it is weird because it doesn't happen very often. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 17, a very famous passage called Jesus Counsels the Rich Young Ruler. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, we're going to see a conversion that was derailed. Our three for the road, number one, is this. Arrogance steals your ability to both learn and connect. Arrogance steals your ability to both learn and connect. Let's look at chapter 10, verse 17. It says, Now I was going on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I always say to people that there's an external humility and an internal arrogance going on with this man. The external humility is he comes before Jesus and bows before him. He calls him good teacher, which most, often you'll see people interact with Jesus, and sometimes they can even be hostile towards him if you see the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they interact with him. So a lot of people would observe the external behavior and go, wow, this guy's a really good guy. He's a very respectful man. But then there's an inter internal arrogance because listen to what he says. Good teacher, what shall I do that I may, uh, may inherit eternal life? How many people have ever done something for someone and they say, hey, I owe you one, right? We all say those kind of terms. Like after church, if I walk down the parking lot and all alone there's Libby standing there next to her car and she has a flat tire. And I say, Libby, I'll change your tire for you. And I change the tire for her and Libby goes, oh, Eric, you know what? I owe you one. And so we go to the diner and she buys me breakfast and we call it even. Well, that's a silly example, but sometimes we can do these kind of things with God. Like we say, hey God, I'm going to do all this, and you're going to owe me one. 
and see the rich young ruler externally seems very, very humble. But internally, he's saying, hey, Jesus, so how can I make our relationship so you owe me one? Because that's what I want here. So Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now, here's what I really believe. Remember I told you about title and purpose? I think Jesus is trying to push this guy a little bit, saying, do you know two things? Number one, do you know who you're speaking with? And then number two, do you know what you are really asking? Those are important things. What's the story they always say? It's not what you know, but what? Who you know. Who you know. And Jesus says, do you know who you're talking to? And do you actually understand the words that are coming out of your mouth? How many times when you're working with your children would you say, think before you what? Speak. A friend of mine always used to say to me, Eric, not everything that occurs to you is something that should be said. I don't know what he meant. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. And then Jesus does something that kind of drives me crazy. He says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. One of the things that Jesus will do is Jesus won't talk about the things you want to talk about. He'll talk about the things that you need to talk about. And so sometimes in life, we go, no, 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 I just want to focus on this area. And Jesus goes, no, 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 let's go over here. Let's talk about these things. The other thing is, is I'm a guy who likes to do things in order. Jesus does not. He says the uh, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. He lists off the seventh, sixth, eighth, ninth, and fifth commandment. How many of you drives you crazy, right? Shouldn't they be in chronological order? Start with number one, end with number ten, that's what we do. But no, Jesus lists off the 7th, 6th, 8th, ninth, and 5th commandment. You'll notice that all of those commandments have to do with how we interact and have relationship with one another. Now, remember, I think this man wanted to dictate the conversation. Jesus is going to say, hey, here's what we really need to talk about. Let's talk about these commandments. Why do you think he brought up those specific commandments? probably because there were problems. And Jesus knew that. He's not going to waste time talking about things that aren't a problem. He's going to spend his vital, very important time talking about what matters. And what matters in this case is the 7th, 6th, 8th, ninth, and 5th commandment. Well, this is where things really go off the tracks. And he answered and he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. <laughs> this is a tough one. There's a tough one. You know, arrogance is believing. Uh, arrogance, this can be seen as arrogant, but it's even beyond arrogant because I think he himself believes this. Right? Let me ask you something. If you really want to know uh, how someone is doing, ask their friends. Ask their spouse. Do they keep all the commandments? Ask someone that's close to them. And this guy turns to Jesus and says, well, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Now, if I had to paraphrase this, 
Here's what this guy said to Jesus. Jesus, I've never lusted or engaged in inappropriate behavior. Furthermore, I have never murdered, stolen, lied, cheated, and I have always honored my parents. Now, how many of you, if a politician, any politician stood up today and said that, how many of you would go, right. But this is what this guy's saying. And he's not saying it to, like, the local voters. He's saying it to Jesus. He's the rich, young ruler. And then I love this. It's one of the great verses in the Bible. And then Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and loved him. How many of you can tell by the way someone looks at you that they love you? You just see it. Yesterday I was watching uh, my nephew, Eli, he's a little over a year old, and he's just a, a bundle of energy, right? And his mom had to leave him with me in Austin, right? So we're just rumbling and feeding him, and it's just a great time, right? But when his mom comes home, he goes over to the window, and he literally starts going, because it's mom, right? And his eyes just get big. Just everybody is so excited. It's mom. And Carly walks by, and I watch her look at him, and I look at him, look at her. And you don't have to go, I wonder how they feel about one another. No, they love. There's love there. Jesus looks at this man, and he loves him. But part of love is being truthful. Right? So what does he say to him? Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, one thing you lack, go, sell, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up your cross and follow me. Jesus just fires a response that I think was a shot right to the heart of this guy. Because what I think the guy really wanted to hear is Jesus say, well, you know what? Um, disciples could probably use some new shoes. Their sandals are getting all worn out, and we haven't had a really good cooked meal in a while, and maybe we could use a few new jackets, and there's some widows in town who we haven't eaten in a while. Could you write a check? And I think the guy would have went, great, you owe me. That's what he wanted. But Jesus takes it in a whole different direction. If I had to paraphrase what Jesus said to the guy, here's what I think Jesus was saying. Well, since you've never used your position, power, or influence to indulge in sexual satisfaction, and you've never eliminated, whether through actual murder or character assassination, your foes, and you've never taken something that is not yours and made it seem like it is yours, you've never told lies with the purpose of making yourself seem better, and your parents would agree to all of these points, then I guess you only lack one thing. Verse 22, the conversion's off the track. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, here's the problem. This guy made a mathematical decision. And what the decision was is what I have 
and what you're offering, mine's worth more. Yours doesn't make it. I really don't believe that Jesus, like people hear this passage and they go, oh boy. I've been to churches before, well they'll share this passage before they do like some budget presentation about giving, right? And, And everyone's like, oh my gosh, honey, pull out the checkbook. This is, I don't really think that's where Jesus is going here. I think Jesus is saying, hey listen, you show external humility, but internally you're arrogant. And you're trying to do something where you think, I'll owe you? I'll owe you? No, 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 no. Take up your cross and follow me. And then we'll talk about who owes what. The tragedy is this man didn't believe what Jesus had to offer was worth it. Let's make this hit home. Arrogance steals your ability to both learn and connect. Everyone knows a know-it-all. How many people know a know-it-all? No matter what it is, they have a self-given PhD in it. They just understand it. Everything about it. No matter what the subject is. You could be talking about economics and you could be talking about, you know, the, the, the global economics of the world or you could be talking about chewing gum. Whatever it is, they have their PhD in it. But you see, the problem with know-it-alls is because they know everything, they walk around as if there's nothing to learn. In other words, if I'm a know-it-all, well, Paul, what would you have to offer that I could possibly appreciate? Because I know it all, and you don't. So we're at an impasse there. Years ago, I told you a story about a car that I had that kept breaking down on me. It was an old Ford Escort. Any Ford Escort people out there anywhere? Yeah. This little car, I called it the Super Scort. Man, it took me everywhere. But it kept breaking down. And I remember, I took it to the dealership, I took it to mechanics, I took it all these different places. They do all these tests, all these diagnoses. Oh, Mr. Segul, we think you're good to go. And then a half mile down the road, not so good. Finally, this, a new mechanic opened up just down the street from me. I took the car there, a young guy. I said, listen, this is what's going on. I said, I took it to all these different mechanics. They did this, they did this, they did this, they did this, they did this. What do you think? He goes, gosh, i got to be honest. For what you're describing, I would have done all those things that they did. I don't know. Now, that's not a great feeling, right? But nonetheless, I think, all right, well, Let's just throw one deep to the end zone, see what happens. I'll leave it with you, and let me know if you can find out anything. And so I, I live just down the road from it. As I'm walking away, I see this kid scratching his head, staring at the car. Yeah, where's this going to go? Like three hours later, he calls me. Hey, Mr. Segul, your car's all set. Uh, it's like $75. And I'm like, and it's fixed. He goes, absolutely fixed. So I go back to him. I said, listen. What in the world did you do? Because I would leave this car for like a week and no one could figure it out. He said, well, he said, I realize that everybody keeps trying to attack this problem with what they know, but what the answer is is probably something we don't know. So he said, I called Ford. I said, you called Ford? He goes, it's really hard to get through to mechanics there. But he goes, the end result is is I get transferred, 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 transferred. Finally, some guy picks up the phone. 
I said, listen, I'm a mechanic and I'm working on this, this Ford Escort. And the guy goes, well, I was part of the engineering team that developed the Escort, so what's the problem? He goes, I'll tell you what, he said, I thought I knew a lot about Ford Escorts. He goes, this guy, he knows a lot about Ford Escorts. And he told him how to fix it. And the thing I thought is arrogant people would never, ever do that because they know everything. And this young mechanic, he figured it out. The problem with being a know-it-all is that you never grow and you never can connect because people don't want to connect with people who make them feel bad about themselves. Because know-it-alls, whether they realize it or not, they actually are putting down other people. And so what I've realized is if I act like a know-it-all or I think I'm a know-it-all or I do anything in a know-it-all kind of way, I'm closing down the gateway to learn and I'm also shutting down people because they go, oh my gosh, here comes Eric. Hey, good to see you, buddy. Meathead. They don't want to be around me. Let's keep going. Three for the road, number two. We either trust in the Lord or ourselves. We either trust in the Lord or ourselves. There's no real in between. The people who say that they don't, well, you know, I don't rely totally on myself and that, well, no, they really do. They really do. They're like the rich young ruler. Let's look at verse 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now this has been highly misconstrued through the years. First off, when the, when the rich young ruler left, I think Jesus was heartbroken. He wanted him to come back. I think Jesus was going, come on, just turn around and come back here. Let's have a real conversation. Not one that leverages somebody owes somebody, but let's just have a real conversation here. He walks away and Jesus says how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered them again and said, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. I walked into a sandwich shop, a hoagie shop one day, and there was this guy writes all these little sayings on this board. And he wrote this big saying across this board. I'm going to tell you, it ticked me off. It says, all right, if money is evil, why does the church want it so much? And I said to the woman, I said, that is not an accurate statement. And she says, well, my boss wrote it. And I said, your boss wrote an inaccurate statement because money is not evil. What's evil? The love of it, right? So he says, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered them again and said, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you that riches are not just always financial things. You can have all sorts of different riches in your life. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I was friends with a woman years ago who did Young Life in some of the hardest parts of Philadelphia. She was a former gang member, all these different things. She had all these burn tattoos on her arms and everything like that. She came to know Christ as her Lord and Savior, and she would go into the toughest parts of Philadelphia to witness the kids and share the gospel with them. 
One day I said to her, I said, Pat, I said, I just want you to know, I, I pray for you. Um, I think it's really, really a difficult calling that you have taken charge to. And she said something that put me on my heels. She turned around to me and she goes, Eric, I have it easy. She said, she walked me by this wall and on the wall were all these kids that had been shot through the years and killed. And she said, that kid came to my club, that kid, that girl, that kid, that kid. She said, I'm here and every one of these kids knows that death is coming. Whether it's now or sometime down the line. She said, Eric, the difference between me and you, she said, you work in the suburbs and kids think they're immortal already. And she said, so the gospel, she said, they're just kind of fat and happy. She said, here, when you talk about where will you go when your last breath, she said, you'll get people on a basketball court who will stop and listen to you. Why? Because they've seen the last breath exit some of their friends. Whoa. It's different. Jesus says, listen, you got to be careful because riches comfort they'll lull you to spiritual sleep and they were in this i think is a very heartfelt sentence remember the father who brought his son and said i believe but help my unbelief now listen to this statement from the disciples and they were greatly astonished saying among themselves who then can be saved because jesus says this and basically what he says is hey you have no chance. You have no chance. And the disciples are going, oh my gosh, what are we doing? If there's no chance, and listen to what Jesus says, and Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible. This is something I've been trying to drill into some of my friends' heads for as long as I've known them. Because all of them are convinced well, it's possible. I can do it. He'll owe me. When I get before him, he's going to say, you know what, some good, some bad, but I'll tell you, you're all right, you're in. And what does Jesus say? It is impossible. And I think the sons of thunder who are ready to fight over anything, possible. Maybe for big mouth Peter, but not for us. We know what we're doing. We've been faithful. Jesus, you owe us that at least. With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. And Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. Now listen, I've seen a lot of men sacrifice all that stuff for the sake of advancement. Not for the sake of Christ and not for the gospel who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. How many have heard this quote, but they cut off the with persecution part? Because they'll say, hey, listen, if you follow after the Lord, you'll be blessed and this and this and this and all these different things rattle out. And then all of a sudden they kind of 
seg out of that persecution thing. With persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So God says, listen, I will bless you. Pam and I live a blessed life. We really do. There's hardships, there's tough things, there's blessings. How many of you are blessed, but you also kind of wish there were other ways God would bless you? <laughs> right? We all think those kind of things. It's normal. But I'm blessed. And then there's persecutions that happen because you're following Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to tell you, if you don't follow Jesus Christ, there's persecutions too. Remember what Jesus says, everything will be tested by fire. Everything. What you believe, how you live. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's make this at home. We either trust in the Lord, or we trust in ourselves. John Jacob Astor was at one point the richest man in the world. Uh, but on April 14, 1912, he died along with 15 other people, 1,500 other people, when the Titanic sank in the North Atlantic. On April 22, 1912, eight days after the sinking, his body was recovered by a steamer. He was badly crushed, covered in soot, leading some to believe that he was killed when Titanic's gigantic smokestacks became dislodged and fell as the ship was sinking. His, his body was identified by his monogrammed clothing, his gold watch, his gold belt buckle. He had gold cufflinks on. He had a gold ring with three diamonds in it. He had 225 pounds in English notes. He had $2,400 in U.S. currency. He had French marks as well. He had a gold-plated pencil, a pocketbook with personal effects, and small amounts of both gold and silver on his body. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't know anything about spiritually about what was going on with this man. I don't. But here's what I know. In death, the only difference was that he was found with a bunch of valuable stuff on him. And the interesting thing is, is somebody actually took note that when they recovered his body, it was floating around with other passengers who were third, passenger, third uh, class passengers as well as steerage who worked on the ship. Now, if you know anything about how things went at that time, first class were always separated. But in death, it doesn't matter. After he was pulled up onto the steamer, he was tagged as body number 124. And that was it. See, mankind has accomplished a lot of great things. Modern medicine, architecture, science, space ex exploration. In 2033, NASA is on target to put a man on Mars. How many people know someone they'd like to send to Mars? Anyone? But for all of our advances, for everything that we have accomplished, we can't seem to manage to defeat death. Like no one is going to be walking around in a few years and go, hey, do you remember that thing when people used to die? Boy, glad that one's done. That was awful. Nope. One of the pastors I used to work with, he used to tell me this. He said, Eric, you know what? You can take really good care of yourself. You can work out. You can eat all the right foods. And he said, and I would encourage you to do that. But he said, it still doesn't mean that a beer truck can't run you over. He was right. Who do you trust in? See, the rich young ruler walked away. Why? Because he trusted in himself rather than the Lord. 
Let's finish up this passage. Let's look at verse 32. Let your amazement with Jesus outpace the fear that stalks you. How many people feel in life that there's things that are stalking you? I had a friend of mine that, that smoked for years and years and years, and he finally gave up smoking. And I don't think he's smoked in like 15, 20 years now. I'm really proud of him. One of the things he said to me, he said, I said to him, I said, Sean, do you ever think about smoking? He goes, Eric, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing through my head is I want to have a cigarette. He said, I can't believe how strong that addiction was. And he actually used the word. He said, Eric, it stalks me. But he said, I pray, I ask God for strength to go one more day without smoking. And then he said, and I also share it with my wife. And so I literally will say, Mars, I, I'm really struggling. Like everything in me wants to go to Wawa and get a pack of cigarettes. And we'll talk about it. Let your amazement in Jesus outpace the fear that stalks you. Look at verse 32. Now when they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Now Jesus is going to give his third prediction, but this prediction is different than the other two. And that's why, one, I think they're amazed being around Jesus, but two, fear is coming into the picture because Jesus is going to say something different than he said before. Then he took the 12 aside again. So here's this crowd, and they're kind of traveling around, and Jesus says, hey, guys, I just want to talk to the main guys. Come over here. Huddle around. Then he took the 12 aside again, and he began to tell them things about what would happen. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed. So remember where Jesus would say, hey, this is going to happen? Now Jesus is saying, it's going to happen there. When? No, we're going there right now, and it's going to happen there. And listen to what he says. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests. In other words, someone close to me is going to betray me to the Pharisees, to the religious rulers. Now, I'll remind you that who's in this crowd is Jesus. There's Judas himself. And Judas is probably looking around and going, really, Jesus? Someone's going to sell you out to the religious leaders. What could they possibly find you guilty of? priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and in here is the worst part of it and they will deliver him to the Gentiles see this is the thing the Jewish religious structure they would take care of their own business within them but here's what they're going to do they're going to condemn Jesus to death and because they can't carry that out they're going to involve the Romans. Have you ever read scriptures that says, if you have a disagreement with your brother, get together and solve it, lest you go before a judge? Because I think that Christians need to figure out stuff amongst themselves, because as soon as we take it out to the rest of the world, it just, pre it just starts problems. They scoff at Christians, they look at this... I, I see situations in churches that are unbelievable. 
I know a pastor who's left this church and now he's suing the church. And you go, oh my goodness gracious, what is going on? And so Jesus says, hey guys, I'm going to be betrayed to the Pharisees. The Pharisees in turn are going to find me guilty, sentence me to death, and hand me over to the Romans. And I think these guys are going, what? Are you kidding me? Jesus, I think you're getting a little too dramatic here. This would be very, very confusing for the disciples. I mean, think about it. If Jesus has unlimited powers, how in the world could he be arrested? If Jesus has unlimited powers, how can he be put to death? He finishes it out here, and he says, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. So not only does he say, I'll be handed over to the Romans for execution, but the execution itself would be the highest degree. Can you imagine someone going into the local store and they get, they get picked up for stealing some candy bars right near the cash register and they say, hey, listen, you're going to be tortured and then put to death in the most public, excruciating, painful way. I think people would say, well, that's a little bit over the top. What Jesus is saying is saying, listen, I'm going to get in trouble with the Pharisees. They're going to sentence me to death and they're going to convince the Romans to do it. And I'm going to be executed in the most horrific way that's reserved for the worst criminals. And I think the disciples have got to be going, I don't understand this. And furthermore, if something or someone was powerful enough to actually kill Jesus, what could possibly bring him back? If there's something that powerful that could kill Jesus. And they will mock him, and they will scourge him, and spit on him, and kill him, and on the third day, he will rise again. I think that they don't get to the rise again part because they can't get past the shock of the first part. Let's make it hit home. Let your amazement with Jesus outpace the fear that stalks you. How many people have heard these statements, many of them from the Bible? Don't fear, trust. Have faith over fear. Isaiah 41 says, fear not, for what? I'm with you. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, God challenges Joshua to two words, three times in nine verses. Do you know what the two words are? Be what? Strong and courageous. And he says it three times in nine verses. But you, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why? Because we struggle being weak and cowardly. Now, I want you to know, how many people here have ever struggled with fear in their life? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I have never struggled with fear, ever. You have a pastor who is fearless. I don't have fear, but I do sometimes have concerns. Um, And these concerns can stalk me and grab at me, trip me up. It's concerns about the health of people I care about. It's concerns about losing loved ones. It's concerns about money. It's concerns about my sons. It's concerns about our community. It's concerns about our country. It's concerns about war. It's concerns about Hope Community Church. 
But I'm going to tell you the worst kept secret in Christianity is this. When you draw near the Lord, the concerns don't disappear. But they lose their grip on your heart, soul, and mind. What's the old hymn? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face. And what's the next verse? And the things of earth will what? Go strangely dim. Because you'll go, this doesn't make sense. How was it I was so fearful here, and now all of a sudden it's still here, but I'm not as fearful or concerned? How is that? See, something happens when I draw near him. The circumstances, the concerns, the fear that stalks me, they don't disappear. But rather, the light of Christ shines bright, and in here's the key. And my value in my Savior's eyes get reassured in my heart. How many of you today could use a little drawing near to realize you have value. You have value in your Savior's eyes. I've said this before, but I'm like a sap for this story because I know this young woman so well. But years ago, this girl, Nicole, was in middle school, and we were doing an eighth grade celebration for kids that were moving from eighth grade up to ninth. And I was saying jokes and showing funny pictures of kids through the years, and then this girl, Nicole, and her dad was sitting in the back row, and she's sitting in the front row, because what girl wants to sit with her dad when she's a young teenager? You know how that goes. And I remember I said, I said, Nicole, you know, your dad loves you. And she's like, oh, this. And I said, Paul, don't you love your daughter? And he said, yeah, I love her. And I said, Paul, I want to ask you a question. I said, if something happened to Nicole, what would you give to save her life? And I'll never forget, in this packed auditorium, this father stood up and he said, Eric, I would give every cent I have and I would give my very life for her to live. And she started crying. Every now and then, I think you need to remember your value. That when the world would tell you, well, you know, I don't think you're this enough, or you're that enough, Jesus looks at you and says, you're my son. You're my daughter. I value you so much that if there was no one on this planet but you, I would send my son to die for you alone because I value you. When I know him better, everything falls into its place. And together we walk through those concerns in life. I love what David says in Psalm 23, in the presence of what? My enemies, you prepare a meal for me. Think of that. Think about Paul chained up in a jail cell. What's he doing? He's singing God's praise. Why? Because he's saying, well, remember what Jesus said after the persecutions? How did that verse end? Eternal life. And I'm going to get there soon. Today, 
Is your arrogance blocking you from learning and connecting? You know, we can, we can throw some real criticism at the rich young ruler, but I'll be honest with you, if he lived a week in our lives, he might say, you're not much different than I am. Are you trusting in yourself and not in the Lord? And I'm going to be honest with you. You know how people have those bumper stickers on their car that says, you know, hey, Jesus is driving, uh, you know, he's at the wheel, I'm his co-pilot. Sometimes I think Jesus says, Eric, I'd rather you sit in the back seat because I'm going to tell you, you keep grabbing the wheel. Jesus, but I think we kind of want to go this way. No, we're going this way, Jesus. Come on. I don't want to do that. You're either trusting yourself or you're trusting in the Lord. And I think of this. I know that I physically feel better, mentally feel better, emotionally feel better when I'm drawing close to him. Because the more I'm amazed with him, the more I just want to focus on him. And the more I focus on him, like Sue was saying with that verse, the things of the earth, they just get strangely dim. And you just keep moving forward. And it makes me think different about people. It makes me treat people different. Why? Because I go, hey, listen. I got nothing to offer. No one owes me anything. I'm just his. That's my claim to fame. That's the only initial after my name that counts for anything. Eric Segul, child of God. That's it. And when I just focus on that, things are good. Things are fine. If not, I get in trouble. I want the worship team to come up. I want to pray for us. We're going to sing a last song. We'll have after service, you know, we'll have some time to just talk with one another. But listen, today, if your heart is heavy, if you're struggling, get prayer. Pray with someone. Talk with someone. Connect with someone. Don't be like the rich young ruler who had a great opportunity to say, Jesus, i got to be honest, like I, I'm really into being the rich young ruler. Then I think Jesus goes, all right, let's have that conversation. But instead he walked away. He walked away. And how many of us have encounters where we sense God's doing something in our heart, doing something in our, and we go, hey, listen, God's doing something here. And we go, no, I, I don't want to get into that. Because if I go up to somebody and start talking with them, maybe I'll feel foolish. Or if I say this, maybe people won't identify with it. Let me tell you something. There is nothing that you could share that someone else in the room wouldn't go, oh yeah, I know about that. I know that struggle. I have it too. I know someone that has it. My family member has whatever it is. See, the beautiful thing is, is when you bring things to the light, it loses a lot of its power. A lot of it's trouble. And that's what my friend did with smoking. He said, so I'm real open about it. Hey, I struggle with this. Encourage me. Help me. Pray for me. And guess what? He's got a people, people around him helping him. And I just thought to myself, what if we did that in a lot of different areas of our life? And we just asked people, hey, will you come alongside of me because I struggle in this area? Let's stand up and I'm going to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, the verse that just rang through my brain this week is, with man it is impossible. 
And Lord, it, it's arrogant to say this, but there are times in my life where I feel like I don't know that I need a Savior. And Lord, I think that that is an inflated view of myself and a poor image of who you are. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Lord, do we even know who we pray to? Lord, do we hear your, hear your heartbeat? Lord, do we sense your presence? Do we abide by your word, Lord? Do we dwell with you? God, we thank you for this time. And Lord, I pray if there would be anyone in this room who maybe they're struggling, maybe they're sitting there saying, listen, I am struggling. I'm caught up in this world. It's a snare. It's stalking me. There's worries. There's fears. There's all these things I'm wound up in. And Lord, they're not all necessarily bad things. But Lord, the number one thing I need to focus on is you are my Savior and I am your child. And so, Lord, I pray that I walk by the light of your Son, Jesus Christ, that that vertical relationship would be the driving force of my life and a world that is just calling out and just begging for something, Lord. I pray that I would be so in love with my Master and so in love with my Savior and so in love with my Messiah, Lord, that it would ooze out through me into a hurting horizontal world. God, I just want to lift up those who are hurting today. Lord, I know those who are physically hurting. I pray for Grace DiGiorgio. I pray for her healing. I pray for her therapy on her arm, Lord. It's broken. And God, I just lift her up, Lord. We praise you for young Gabriel being born this week, Lord. And we give you the glory. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with addictions. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with um, depression and anxiety. Different things, Lord, that can just rob our lives, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would focus on you and you would guide us through these concerns and guide us through these fears, Lord. God, we thank you for this time, Lord, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.